Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. This past week, I spoke at a ministry. Can you guess what it's called? You can't see it. Okay. Well, it says Man Church. It was uh, developed by a friend of mine named Rocky to be a place for men to fellowship uh, outside of a traditional congregation. It's a uniquely effective outreach, and I always enjoy uh, sharing with them. I love, in general, sharing with uh, what we call in the biz, the church of the city from a Messianic Jewish perspective. I see it as part of my calling uh, and part of our calling as a Messianic Jewish synagogue to connect with the church of the city. Right now, uh, he has various speakers, uh, each taking a chapter a week from a book by Pastor Charles Stanley and talking about that. The book is called Landmines, and it's full of godly wisdom on things that can really derail our walk with Yeshua. The chapter I chose was on unforgiveness, and so I spoke about that this past week, but because I'm a positive guy, I also talked about forgiveness, right? Because you can talk about that as well. Uh, I opened with uh, the story of Corey Ten Boom that I shared here on the Bema a few weeks ago about how she met uh, a former guard in the concentration camps where she had been and where her sister had died. And she was giving a talk uh, on forgiveness after the war in Germany and then was forced to reconcile her experience with the words of comfort that she shared. And if you missed that sermon, I encourage you to, to check it out on Corey Ten Boom. I also told a small personal story, which I've mentioned here before. Uh, when I was teaching in Mississippi, I came home one day with a bad headache, which if you know any teachers, this is not that unusual, right? But this day I was just, you know, feeling lousy and I was lying on my bed and I realized I was kind of angry at one of my students for something that he said. As a teacher, you know, this is not good, right? Because you want to be able to apply discipline without letting your emotions get in the way. And the same is true as a parent. But uh, this was, you know, after school, but I, I, I still realized I had you know, some unforgiveness in my heart. So I just said, Lord, you know, I forgive him, you know, just uh, while I was on my bed. And just like that, the headache went away immediately. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, and it, it doesn't always happen like that, but, you know, forgiveness and healing are linked together sometimes. Think about uh, when Yeshua healed the paralytic man in Matthew 9. This is what it says. After getting into a boat, Yeshua crossed over and came to his own town. Just then, some people brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a cot. After seeing their faith, Yeshua said to the paralyzed man, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. 
Notice he opens with that. Then some of the Torah scholars said among themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And knowing their thoughts, Yeshua said, why are you entertaining evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to pardon sins. Then he tells the paralyzed man, get up, take your cot and go home. And he got up and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and glorified God who had given such authority to men. So we see, you know, forgiveness and healing are sometimes connected in the, in the Besorah and also in our lives. While I was speaking at Man Church, I, uh, I asked a question. I said, uh, you know, if someone hurts you, you have two options. So what are they? And thinking they would give me a nice answer, they, they said, uh, well, you hurt them back. And I said, well, I guess I have to clarify. What are your biblical options? Okay, come on, people. <laughs> so uh, Rabbi Michael Rudolph uh, asserts that there are two types of forgiveness in the scriptures, which he calls unilateral and transactional. You know, this is a kind of big word. So what I like to say is solo forgiveness and partner forgiveness. So can we try to say that? So there's, what are the two kinds? There's solo forgiveness and partner forgiveness. Do the little movements with me. All right, do it again. Solo forgiveness and partner forgiveness. All right, there we go. That's good. You guys look good, like a beating heart. So I like that. Solo forgiveness is uh, what Yeshua did on the tree, which is commonly called the cross. While he was dying, he said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they are doing. This was expressing forgiveness to the Roman soldiers who were mocking him, who were beating him, putting a crown of thorns on him, saying, if you're the son of God, come down from there. These were not repentant Roman soldiers. And yet Yeshua extends forgiveness solo, right? Just him unilaterally. Proverbs 19.11 says this, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Let's read that together. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense, right? It's our glory to let things go. The second forgiveness, partner forgiveness, is a possible next step to solo forgiveness. This is what is outlined if you've ever read Matthew 18. And what do you do? Go to the person. Say it with me again. Go to the person. Notice I didn't say go to someone else and complain about the person, <laughs> but go to that person. My friend uh, Scott Moore, when talking about these two types of forgiveness, made a point this week that even if you're doing partner forgiveness, it's a good idea to do what first? Solo forgiveness first, right? So that way, when you go to the person, you can speak the truth in love, having already done the hard work without blaming them in anger. So you're not going, hey, I can't believe what you did to me, you know, blah, 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 blah. But you've, you've kind of centered yourself and forgiven them already so that uh, you can, uh, there's more of a possibility of true reconciliation. You see, forgiveness doesn't mean that what the other person did is okay. That's not what you're saying. Forgiveness is releasing debt. 
In what is called the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, we say what? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. This also shows how our forgiveness flows out of God's forgiveness for us. Think for a moment, just a moment, it might be overwhelming, about our sins against Hashem, broken promises to God, falling short again and again. And then think about how much forgiveness he has extended to us, despite all of that. It makes other people's offenses seem much smaller, doesn't it? Now, if this person, if this is a person that you're called to be in relationship with, like say your spouse, yes, I went there, or, you know, a brother or sister in the Lord, and there's a pattern of behavior, then you may be called to do partner forgiveness. Yay. <laughs> All right. But, you know, this isn't always possible. In, uh, in, in a case that it's not possible, maybe the person is uh, deceased or maybe you, you can't contact them for some reason. They've set some boundaries. You can do your best to follow Matthew 18 as, as you're able. And uh, you can always write them a letter, perhaps, in, and, and you don't have to send it to them, but it can help you kind of uh, heal and uh, you can ask for forgiveness in that letter. Um, and, you know, it might be a good idea, even if you are in relationship with them, just to do that first and kind of uh, get that out. So there's lots of helpful things that we can do. Remember, you have two options. What are your two options? Let it go or let it go and go to the person. Yeah. All right. Uh, my, uh, one of my mentors, uh, Rabbi David Rudolph, uh, spoke on this, uh, on this Bema, on this topic um, a few years ago while he was still the rabbi here. And he said uh, his counsel was, if, if you're not going to gossip, then it is okay to process. Notice I didn't say, you know, talk bad about them, but process with one other person that you trust, right? So, you know, if you're, you know, you know, if it's with someone at work, let's say, and you want to process with your spouse and uh, you can refrain from Lashon Hara, from the evil tongue, but you can kind of process it out and, and, and think that way, then that might be helpful. But, uh, Rabbi David encouraged that the limit be one person, right? You don't process with this one, process, you know, guess what this person did to me, right? Because that's, you're getting into shady territory there, okay? Um, so your two options are what? You can let it go or let it go and go to the person in love, right? Even scientists know that bitter, bitterness and anger, they cause all kinds of health problems, right? This is, is scientific truth. It's not just a truth uh, that we find in the scriptures. In doing research for this sermon, I came across an excellent drosh uh, by my friend Dave Nickel. He is the son of uh, Rabbi Rich Nickel, one of my professors and mentors. Drawing from this week's Parsha, this is what Dave said about the opening line of Deuteronomy. Uh, so this is the line of Deuteronomy. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, 
uh, Laban Hazaroth and D. Zahab. So that just sounds like a bunch of place names, right? Just sounds like, you know, wh why is that interesting? What does that have to do with forgiveness? Well, uh, the rabbis have researched this and looked into this over the years. And this is what Dave Nichol had to say. I thought it was very interesting. Quote, it is the place names themselves that include the rebuke, rebuke, where Moses seems to be just listing a bunch of place names. He's in fact alluding to the events that happened there. It's like when I remind my wife about the late night stop at the service area near Rochester, New York on a car trip to Michigan. I don't need to add, you know, when both kids were vomiting in their car seats. Believe me, she remembers. So the Israelites presumably cringe at the mention of these places. This raises the question, why not be more explicit? Everybody knows what happened. Why does the text not just spell it out? Why not just say it? The first verse could have been this. <clears throat> these are the words which Moses spoke with all Israel beyond the Jordan, reproving them because they had sinned in the wilderness and then provoked the Lord to anger on the plains over the Sea of Suf, in Faran, where they scorned the manna, in Hazaroth, where they provoked to anger on account of flesh and because they had made the golden calf. In fact, that's exactly how it's rendered by the ancient Aramaic translation Targum Ankelos around the fourth century. Uh, however, the text of the Torah is more subtle, not mentioning these specific events at all. I propose two reasons that Moses might be circumspect with respect to Israel's sins in the wilderness. First, the dignity of humans is a central Jewish value. Conversely, public humiliation is a serious offense. The Talmud underscores the seriousness by stating, anyone who humiliates another in public, it is as though he were spilling blood, from Baba Metzia 58b. Quoted above, Rashi attributes the circumspection to God's concern for Israel's honor or glory. Even the Lord, this is my comment here, even the Lord is gentle with his rebukes. This leads us to ask why God is so concerned about Israel's honor. Certainly, human dignity is important. According to the Talmud, guarding the dignity of another takes precedence even over the observation of a prohibition in Torah. But even more fundamentally, God loves Israel, and we care about the honor of those we love. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, Hosea 11. The second reason is more practical. This speech from Moses isn't about dwelling on the past. The sins of Israel aren't decisive enough to fracture the relationship. No, Israel has a mission, a shalichut, something to accomplish. Just a few verses later, God tells the people, it's time to get moving. You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn, journey on, in verse 6 in chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. It's been 40 years. It's not the time for rehashing of old arguments or bringing up failures of the past. We can learn lessons from both of these reasons. If you love someone, honor them, even at your own expense. Get in the habit of safeguarding others' honor and reputation. The starting point for this is being in touch with your own infinite value. Only one who is secure in their place, who has the reputation to give, as it were, is able to guard others' honor generously. Rabbi Shlomo Wolbe put it well. 
The beginning of all individual work is specifically the experience of man's exaltedness. Anyone who has never focused on man's exaltedness from his very creation and whose only self-work is to know more and more about the bad sides of himself and to make himself suffer as a result, that person will sink deeper and deeper into despair and in the end will make peace with the bad out of sheer lack of hope of ever changing it. But our insecurities are in vain, since our value is beyond measure. As Yeshua said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them shall fall to the ground apart from your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are worth more than many sparrows. Matthew 10. Once you are confident in your own value, you become free to turn toward reminding those you love of their intrinsic worth. And who hasn't rehashed old arguments, allowing themselves to focus on their own anger or unresolved feelings of betrayal, processing their own anger in the guise of rebuking another? There's always the temptation to reach into the bag and bring out old offenses, recycling the weapons that once hurt you to hurl them back at their original owner. But to do so is rarely helpful. I find this to be particularly relevant as a parent. Certainly some of the rebukes directed toward my children are for the sake of their edification and growth, but all of them, hardly. Sometimes it's more about me than about what is best for them. On the other hand, Moses seems to anticipate Paul's words, let no harmful word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for building others up according to the need so that it gives grace to those who hear it, Ephesians 4. And so in one verse, we find deep teachings about how to relate to each other by imitating the creator. May he strengthen our hands to preserve each other's honor. And when we must rebuke to do so in proper measure and out of love, unquote. Isn't that a beautiful drosh? Yeah. What I notice here, uh, again, is that even Hashem, who has the right to judge us, right? He's the judge of all the earth and has the right to rebuke us. He rebukes us by speaking the truth in love. He's still gentle about it. This week's Haftarah portion is the third Haftarah of rebuke, leading up to Tisha B'Av tonight, a day of national mourning and repentance. But even this rebuke in Isaiah chapter one is filled with hope and drawing near. So let's check it out. Uh, this is starting in verse 16. Wash and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says Adonai. Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will become like wool. If you are willing and obey, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of Adonai has spoken. Is the Lord calling you to do solo or partner forgiveness? Why not do it on this Erev Tisha B'Av, a time of national repentance and prayer? Do you need to approach someone who has hurt you? I encourage you, forgive them first and then 
try to work it out by speaking the truth in love. I want to close with a story from Pastor Charles Stanley from the book I mentioned earlier, Landmines. This is what he says, quote, Because of the love of God, we are never alone, never forgotten, never abandoned, never betrayed, always loved. There is nothing we can do to prevent him from loving us. Yet a spirit of unforgiveness can certainly distort our view of his intimate and personal care. One of the most important things you will ever do is forgive your abuser. My father died when I was quite young. A few years later, my mother married a man who turned out to be very abusive to her and to me. There were a lot of emotional, physical, there was a lot of emotional and physical pain in my household as a result of their marriage. At the time, my stepfather never had a positive word to say to me or to her. I never thought I would be able to forgive him for what he did to us. However, there came a time when I knew God wanted me to do this very thing, forgive him. I remember asking my mother, why did you marry him? She, she replied, I believed you needed a father. She did what she felt was right, and yet it was a very costly decision. God was determined to bring some good out of this desperate situation. I also realized that it would be very difficult for me to continue in the ministry without dealing with my unforgiveness toward my stepfather. My mom and I did not deserve to be treated the way we were. No one deserves to be injured or to have their self-esteem destroyed. I knew that if I continued to refuse to do what God was instructing me to do, I would miss a tremendous blessing and risk stepping away from his will. The day I forgave my stepfather, I sat down across the dining room table from him, remembering that he was the man who had inflicted so much hurt on my mother. John, I said, the reason I came home is to ask you to forgive me for my unforgiving spirit toward you. He immediately said, you don't have to ask me to forgive you, but I persisted. No, I, I need to hear you tell me that I'm forgiven. He looked up and said, you are forgiven. Notice what I did not say to him. I did not say, forgive me for my attitude toward you when you hurt my mother, when you and I fought over her, when you hurt, despised, and rejected me. There was none of that. If I had brought up a list of hurts from the past, John would have known that I was not sincere. After I stopped talking, he got up and came around the table and hugged me. He was crying, and he asked me to forgive him for the way he had treated us. He is in heaven now, and I'm glad I can say that I did not ignore God's call for me to forgive him. Regardless of the past, I forgave him, and God set me free from the bondage of unforgiveness. You can experience the same release when you trust him. He always works things out. He is never caught off guard by the circumstances. He uses your sorrows and pain for a greater purpose. He has a plan for your future. Unquote. Thank you, Pastor Stanley, for that story. <clears throat> Avinu, Father, thank you for your love for us, your forgiveness of us. Um, it is so great beyond measure. Um, and we ask that you help us. Sometimes forgiveness is a process. Sometimes it's, it's hard for us. Um, and sometimes we have to set 
you know, healthy boundaries <laughs> um, and distinguish between forgiveness and trust, trusting another person. But for this season, Lord, we ask that you help us to do solo forgiveness and when applicable to do partner forgiveness, that we would be able to walk in the fullness of all that you have for us. And we know that even in extreme examples like Pastor Stanley's or with Corey Ten Boom uh, and her experiences in uh, the concentration camp, uh, there is a possibility because you are sovereign and good, there is a possibility of restoration and forgiveness if we trust you and if we do things according to your word. So help us, Lord, um, because we want to enter into the fullness of what you have for us. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.